Hey, it's Black and Abdallah. It's the Chicago Bears podcast. We're filling in for Pat the Designer, and it's Tuesday. It's time to talk with Courtney Cronin from ESPN and ESPN 1000. What's up, Courtney? How are you? I'm good. It's nice to see you guys. Thank you for filling in for Pat. Um, I'm sorry I'm in this like dark cave. So I miss I miss the studio. I miss getting to come into 1000 to do the show. But this is what we're dealing with here on a short week where we just make adjustments. So, Courtney, since it's a short week, uh, the Bears practice today and we have a full injury report. A lot of players on the list. Anyone catch your eye when you kind of look down the list of who's on the injury report today, Tuesday at practice? Yeah, so Cole Komet was out. They're still doing walkthroughs. So it's walkthrough Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday will be the only practice they do. And the reason I kind of use air quotes is because they're in helmets. It's it's more or less a walkthrough. It's not necessarily walkthrough speed, but it's kind of like that because you got there's no, you know, they're not in pads. There's not much that they can do as far as getting the full effect in through the week on a short week. But the injury report that we saw today, which is an estimation, Justin Fields still limited with the thumb. I think that's the way that they're going to designate him uh, throughout, you know, tomorrow as well. But Cole Komet was upgraded from DNP with a knee injury on Monday and then was listed in the estimation report today as full. So that's a good one uh, to keep an eye on. Certainly get something popped up during the game in New Orleans uh, afterwards that he, that the medical staff felt he needed to be put on there with a designation. But other than that, I mean, it's pretty much been the same. The three guys that were designated to return from IR, Khalil Herbert, EQ, St. Brown, and Josh Blackwell, they're all full. Um, and, you know, everybody else that's, that's on there and a lot of the DNPs remain the same DNPs that we had seen now for a couple weeks. If you had to guess, reading between the lines of what you've heard from Getze and from Eberflus and other players, who do you think is going to start Thursday night? The smart thing here is to start Tyson Bajan. Give him his four straight start. Do not rush Justin Fields back because they're not actually practicing in full this week. So how are we going to know? If he falls and falls on that hand, if that's the first time that happens, we have no clue. The coaching staff has no clue how he's going to be able to brace himself and prevent himself from re-injuring it. So you you just don't take chances with a guy like that who – you know, last week when we talked to him on Friday, I asked him about that grip strength and he said it wasn't all the way there just yet and that he was still feeling pain when he was trying to grip the football. So all these days later, how much more improved is that? Maybe we hear from Justin Fields and he talks about that tomorrow. But I just think if you're going to be playing this thing safe, you want to get an evaluation. If you're Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, however many games left Justin Fields has uh, once he's able to return. So if it's not this week, then you have a seven game sample size after that, like you just don't want to risk getting him out there and not having him be full strength because you don't only not get a full evaluation, you're getting like you're getting play. That's not reflective necessarily of what Justin Fields is like when he's healthy, but you also put him at the risk of getting re-injured because teams are obviously going to be going for that thumb and trying to hit him. And, you know, we know that he's somebody who tends to hang back in the pocket and hold on to the ball a little longer, maybe than coaches would like. So he puts himself in harm's way. If he goes back, and it's not completely healthy. And for him, he does himself no no service by doing that because let's say this thing pans out and the Bears are like, thanks, but we're going to move on in 2024. If he's going to get traded somewhere else, 
don't you think he's going to want to have good tape out there of him at his best or at least his healthiest, however healthy he can be here the remaining two months of the regular season? Like he, he's not he's not really in any position right now with a team that's two and seven to go rush himself back out there because it's not like there's a playoff berth on the line. Like, you know, he doesn't have there's there's literally nothing hanging for him in the balance of going back this Thursday versus giving himself the other 10 days beyond Thursday before that game in Detroit in uh, week 11. Courtney, how likely is it to you that Justin does return uh, in the next couple of weeks and plays really well to the point? that Bears fans and all of us in the media kind of look at him as the franchise quarterback going forward. How likely is that? It depends. Like we've seen changes within this offense. I think you saw a more creative Luke Getze in terms of the plays that he's been able to call with Tyson Bajan under center versus Justin Fields. And that's not necessarily saying that, Tyson Bajan's a better quarterback than Justin Fields. It just looks different with one quarterback in versus another one who has not been playing. And when Fields comes back, I I personally think it's going to be next Sunday against Detroit. I don't believe that there's any reason to risk it. And this team, knowing it's not practicing in full this week, you know, give the guy as much time as he can because you didn't have to put him on injured reserve. He didn't have to have surgery, but to be 20 some days removed from dislocating your right thumb and knowing how pertinent it is for somebody who has had the turnover issues. Like, why are you going to risk somebody who who right now is still trying to figure out how to grip the ball? Like you don't want to put yourself at any risk for strip sacks and fumbling the ball. So giving him an extra week, I think, helps. And the type of Justin Fields you see coming back, there's going to be a number of different areas that this team is going to zero in on to know if they like have the guy at quarterback for next year, whether they're going to have to move on. I think the first place you you start naturally is seeing if those sack numbers stay where they're at right now. Tyson Bajant's taken about one a game, which is fine. Justin Fields in his last game took four. Um, and he's been taking multiple sacks every game. So if those sack numbers go back up, then that's something that I think you have to consider. And also those end of half uh, two minute drill situations and kind of how low his success rate has been in those, in those moments. I know the bears are looking at that saying, okay, when he comes back, can he, can there not be turnovers in those situations? Can the fourth quarter be clean the way that it was in that game against Washington versus the way that it the way it was the you know the week before against Denver when he had had three great quarters and then it was just a monumental collapse in the fourth quarter? That's what they're going to be judging Justin Fields on, and we won't know if he's able to do any of that until we can see how he can throw the football, which right now, I mean, he's got the glove on as far as we know from practice, and we'll get a chance to actually be out there tomorrow to see what that looks like, what his, you know, is he limited in what he, in the type of throws that he can make something Luke Getty said that, you know, they're kind of working on through the week, trying to figure out what they can put, like, you know, keep in the playbook and take out if he is to play this week. What's the game plan going to look like for Tyson Bajan? Is it going to be something that we saw similar to the Raiders game where it's like, hey, we're just going to run the crap out of the ball, have you throw, you know, not very far beyond the line of scrimmage, or are they going to try to force the issue? Because this is kind of a must-win game. Like, you want to bury the Panthers as much as possible and try to keep them with as few wins as you can. Yeah, it's so important for draft positioning, just like the irony of that, that – you know, if you had Justin Fields come back just for this game, say, okay, go beat Carolina to increase the value of that draft pick, which we may use to um, to re- find your replacement next year. Just the thought of that's wild in its own right. We all have a little bit of good irony. But I, 
I think people were like the quote. Did you guys see the quote from Luke Getzey today about what he said? How like he didn't anticipate really any changes, like one game yeah. plan versus the other. Mm-hmm. Okay, like I know people are freaking out about that. A, that's gamesmanship. He's not going to tell you. Yeah, it's going to look totally different for like Justin Fields versus what we're going to do for Tyson Bajan, but. Obviously, they're two very different quarterbacks. Now, we know that teams like to have backups that typically mirror the skill set of the starting quarterback. But, you know, outside of those scrambles we saw from Tyson Bajan against New Orleans, that wasn't that's not really typically a big part of his game. He's said it himself. He's not a dual threat guy. But I I think you can find elements that are not the fourth quarter of the Saints game where he's being contained into the pocket and forced to win from the pocket, which forces him to make decisions that he wants back. I mean, he said that there were plays that he felt like he was forcing in there. And, you know, when you don't have the arm strength necessarily to make every single throw and that your pace on every single throw is not the same. That's how that Tyler, that ball gets thrown where it did when Tyler Scott was his intended receiver and that's intercepted. And then the one for Mooney was behind him. Like I don't, They don't want those things to happen, but if you can lean on the run game the way that they did against the Saints, I think that was like the Saint, the 156 yards, like the second highest the Saints rushing um, defense had given up this year. Like you do that against a Carolina defense that probably doesn't have Brian Burns up front this week. Leaning on those bits of the game plan that worked from three really good quarters of this offense, more or less, in New Orleans. And also, like, having Tyson Bajan get those quick throws, the screens, the slants, the hitches, like, utilizing DJ Moore in those situations, utilizing Mooney coming off of, you know, the best game that he's had this season. There's a path here against a very bad Carolina team for the Bears to win, and they're at home, and I would not be shocked if that's what they end up doing with Tyson Bajan under center. What was your first impression of Montez Sweat in this Bears defense from Sunday against the Saints? Yeah, I um, you know, he, he didn't stuff the stat sheet. I know there were a lot of people who seemed to be disappointed that this wasn't the Khalil Mack Green Bay Packers 2018 debut, but the guy A just got here and B like you know, it also requires having other players to, you know, get home on their rushes uh to make sure that your job can be as effective as it is and he was generating a lot of pressure. He had a team high 25 I think it was 25 25% pressure rate. Um, on on his pass rushes, which is, you know, it's a good sign that things are going in the right direction. So I take a look at this, and I think that the Bears are, you know, certainly happy right now that they got the deal done with Montez Sweat. They were able to pull this move off because just like Ryan Poles did for the offense with DJ Moore, he felt he had to go get that sort of game-changing player to add to the defense to get a better evaluation up front because – you know, he's been, they piecemealed this thing together. They did spend, Unique Ngakwe came here, you know, $10 million guaranteed on a one-year contract. They brought in Marcus Walker. They drafted the rookies, um, and they really haven't played them much. But, like, they've done a lot. It's not like they, like, sat on their hands and did nothing this offseason, but none of those moves have panned out. So you caught a glimpse. Like, it wasn't like this, like, breathtaking debut that you're, you know, you're going to be talking about, the way that we did with that Khalil Mack debut four or five years ago now, but it's still significant because I think it kind of scratched the surface of what Montez Sweat can show you he can do once he actually gets acclimated in this defense. Will he get more snaps or because this is a short week, we should be looking to the Lions game in like 10 days or whatever it is for that that game for him to really ramp up? 
Yeah, I mean, he he played the, the same amount as Unique Ngakwe um, this past week against the Saints. And I know the plan was to have him on third downs, have him in two-minute, and then roll him in occasionally on some first and second downs. Like, I thought he played a ton, ton more than I was expecting. Um, but obviously, he's 27 years old. He just got paid, you know, $98 million over four years. Like, they're going to play him. They're going to try to get him up to speed as quickly as possible. So it wouldn't surprise me if that becomes a more consistent, um, you know, more consistent role. Maybe you end up seeing him closer to 50 snaps or 60 snaps. I know Demarcus Walker had, um, you know, they were going to hurry up a lot. So there were a lot of snaps out there. I don't know if Carolina is going to end up doing the same, the thing, the same way that the Saints did, but I would anticipate his load increasing pretty gradually over the next couple weeks. Courtney, yesterday the Chicago Cubs made major news by going out and hiring Craig Council as their new manager. They fired David Ross. Mm -hmm. If we flip this to football and we flip this to the Bears, say this offseason Matt Eberflus is still the head coach, is there someone out there that could be the Bears version Mm -hmm. of Craig Council that they could go out and hire to be the next head coach for the Chicago Bears? Is there someone out there? It's a great question. Um, of course, you know, we're all keeping our eye on what's going on with the NCAA's investigation, what the Big Ten's going to do with Jim Harbaugh. His name naturally, like, even before the sign-stealing scandal, like when the first penalty came down, that was a level one violation for them. Like, I know a lot of people, myself included, were connecting the dots thinking that he was all but gone from Michigan. Now, like... Is that going to happen here? Is it going to happen potentially with the Raiders? You know, I think it's still too early to tell. But the way that I see this with, like, the, the coaching staff, because, again, like, what did you guys think? I want to ask, like, what did you guys think of that of the comments from polls last week about Matt Eberflus, like the really glowing, borderline over-the-top praise for the head coach? Do you remember that? I didn't, from, like, I didn't think it mattered. Yeah, I don't think I, it matters. I'm with I, I thought it was – it was something a GM has to kind of say. I, I think that if he said anything else, it would have created more of a distraction up there. Create a storyline. So, Another fire like for this Adam team to said. put it out. Would, yeah, it, it didn't uh, move the meter, I guess, for us. That. Yeah, I, I was not. I'm in the same camp because I know a lot of people thought, oh, my goodness, this means that this is a vote of confidence for Matt Eberflus. He's going to stay here beyond the 2023 season when you might be bringing a new quarterback in. Um, why would you do that? To me, all this said is that this is the vote of confidence that even if they, if they, even if they don't win another game, Matt Eberflus is probably not getting fired in season. But when that comes to next year, like you, what you have to look at this realistically is that if you are bringing in a new quarterback, whether Justin Fields is on the roster or not, and I think – um, I think we had I think we had similar philosophies on this that maybe you have a quarterback competition and George, Justin yeah. Fields is involved in that competition next year because you might as well give yourself enough bites at the apple because this team has failed to develop a quarterback. Um, so why take one out just to bring another in just to start over from ground zero? Do you really want a head coach? Like, do you want this staff? And I think that's a question that they're going to have to ask themselves about – who they're going to end up bringing in. Is it going to be Jim Harbaugh? Could it be a Lincoln Riley? Like, I don't know. The names right now, it feels like you just throw a bunch of them out there and see if they stick. And of course, people connect dots with offensive coaches, people who have either you know been at the college level and developed quarterbacks, people who are still out there um, who you know might be on the move, like the hot coordinator names that we hear about. But I think, I just think they've got to think about this thing holistically. Matt Eberflus may be a terrific leader, but 
you've got to find somebody who the developing a quarterback in this offense is a top priority if things can sit, continue on this path and they really don't show much sign of, of improvement from a coaching standpoint. I think I would have read more into it, Courtney, if the defense was like a top 15 defense. Sure. Like if they were playing like really well and it was just the quarterback and the offense that was costing them games, like if they were really in that game against the Saints and like it was just the turnovers that really led to them. I mean, the defense played well, but like they're 30th in DVOA and like they're just the stats just aren't there. And we see when they play real quarterbacks and real offenses, they just continue to get decimated. That if they had like an elite defense or like even top anywhere from top 10 to top 15, you could be like, all right, well, we really like what he's doing. We see what they're turning around and that kind of stuff. And maybe it's just the offensive coordinator and Getsy that needs to change. But like I, the defensive head coach isn't really adding to the defense. So like, why would you, I mean, it's, it's called the dreaded vote of confidence for a reason. Yeah. And I, and to that point too, it's like, it goes back to the Montez sweat thing. Cause I know people are crucifying the bears for, you know, taking a swing on that. It's really, they kind of got in it from all angles, but that, that's a move that's also an evaluation on Matt Eberflus. How do you use this guy? Does the pass rush get any better? I mean, they gave you a premier player. Are you getting home with your pass rush, or is it a scheme issue? I mean, I feel like we've been talking about this for two years now, that this cover two that they play, um, where they want to get you know pressure with their four-down linemen, like we've seen Matt Eberflus in recent weeks since taking over, becoming more comfortable calling like you know some more aggressive blitzes, which just didn't happen. It was very vanilla under Alan Williams, but this is as much of an evaluation for the now um, in figuring out you know Montez Sweat how he fits in all that, but also an evaluation I think on Matt Eberflus. Um, you know how do you we get, we gave you a Ferrari? How are you going to use it up front? Well, and also too, uh, you can't get to the quarterback, so we had to go out and trade for a guy. So you could get to the quarterback. Yeah. Like if if his guys were playing up to a better level, they might not have needed to make that trade and could have waited until the draft to add an edge rusher like that. Courtney, did yeah. you see the uh, the rumors from uh, Jason Lock and Fora suggesting that Bill Belichick would be interested in possibly going to Chicago or Washington? How crazy is that? You know, um, I, of course, like think like of all the George Hallis ties and that he might finally be able to what how far off is he from like the overall record? Right. Like he's still chasing that. What Don yeah. Shula still has it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. Like I think he, I think if I remember correctly, going into the year, he needed like 20 something wins, maybe 30. Like, I don't think he's done coaching. I really don't. Um, but to come here to do it, of course, like it'd be like. It, there would be teams firing their head coach to go get Bill Belichick if he became available. I truly believe that. And I know that while he's definitely shown he can be stuck in the mud on certain things, and I think he's really – I think he got in his own way, and arrogance got in his, in his way on why this hasn't worked out in terms of their roster construction. Because remember, he's the GM too. He yeah. at, the, at the Combine this past year – there were a lot of rumors floating around about Bill Belichick giving away Bill Belichick, the GM responsibilities and looking to potentially, you know, just focus on the coaching aspect. If he and the Patriots ended up moving on from each other, however it would be, of course it would be amicable or at least they'd try to paint it in in that way to make it, you know, not seem like the all time winning is in your franchise's history. And, you know, somebody who's won six Super Bowls, like they're not going to like do it in a way that's disrespectful, but if you're the Bears, I think if you're a lot of teams, you'd end up at least putting the call in to see if he wants to go there. I think he'd be able to write his write his destiny. But like, how much longer is he going to coach? And 
if you're Chicago, like just, and I'm just saying this, like just seeing what they did with Mac Jones, are you confident that he's going to have the infrastructure or bring in the right pieces to develop, whether it's Justin Fields or another quarterback? I think those are fair questions because you saw how poorly that was handled um, with Mac Jones, you know, from 2021 all the way till now. Um, not saying that Belichick didn't learn from that, but he, you know, he's also the highest paid guy in the NFL. Like, do we think that this organization, which has not been known to pay buku bucks for coaches and for, you know, really important positions, like, do we think they're all of a sudden just going to like reverse course? Like, oh yeah, Bill Belichick's available. Back up the Brinks truck. I have a hard time believing that. I really well, Harbaugh, sure. Harbaugh sure might that. be just as expensive. Right, yeah, that, oh, that yeah, absolutely. Harbaugh yeah. too. Uh, sure. I would also say to add into that, Courtney, is like, of course, Mac Jones hasn't worked out, but like name a solid skill position offensive player that sure. the Patriots have brought in in the last few years. Like, I know mm-hmm. you can go to a bunch of wide receivers during the Brady era. Yeah, but that was Gronk, like forever like, ago. We're, we're talking mm-hmm. like five, seven years ago. Like they continuously would draft wide receivers, running backs, and then people who end up getting bounced around the league every other season so like i would say you're right about belichick i would also think someone at this stage of their career to pick up a team that's in a complete rebuild doesn't strike me as something that he would be interested in although it's belichick and he's obsessed with football so even if you told him hey bill uh next year you're gonna be the coach at rutgers i think he would max it out and he would like love just being with the guys coaching football every day. I just don't see it. Not here. I, the history element's funny just because of like, you know, he's with, you know, somebody oh, yeah. basically invented the net. If he came here, like in that world that we're theorizing, like he's bowing down to the George Hallis statue every single day as he walks sure. in this building. And I mean, this guy, like, one thing I've always found fun about Belichick that like is kind of like a not it's it's known in football communities, but like, you know, his father, obviously, with like the history at like the at West Point and like the library there, like some of the foremost books on football and strategy and how the game was like created are in this library at West Point. And like Belichick's just like he, the gatekeeping and the knowledge that he has. This is stuff that it's very difficult to get your hands on. Like this guy is a, it's a, it's, I mean, we know it. He's like a football junkie, but like the history element to him, like that's why I feel like you would at least, if you're him, listen, if the Bears, one of the charter franchises in this entire league, called to say, would you be interested? But how many more years is he going to want to keep coaching? Again, I think he's still chasing that record. And, you know, if he could do it in a place like this, he'd at least probably take the phone call. But there's no guarantee. I mean, this this is a very difficult rebuild. Like this is we're, they're two years into this thing and they can barely get it off the ground. They're five and twenty one since they hired this new staff. Um, I guess it would be fitting just to see a play, like Bill Belichick go up to a place like this, given the history tie. But it also feels incredibly far fetched. Yeah, we essentially are always rebuilding a rebuild. So. It would be totally different from what he was used to with New England, where they actually won, where they won sometimes. Uh, I would imagine he'd want to go somewhere where it's like more of a um, you walk in and you just kind of have to manipulate what you have to get the highest level of success. You know, like who knows? Buffalo might be a situation. I know they're in the division, mm-hmm. but they're a team that seems to be kind of struggling at this point at five and four. Maybe uh, Sean McDermott is out at the end of the season. Like that's a team that has championship aspirations or, you know, 
there's some other options around the league. I just think that that's way far fetched for him yeah. to take on this this Bears situation. Abdal, you got something? The Bears podcast is brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino, Northern Indiana. Get your tickets today to see the comedy stylings of Jay Leno at Hard Rock Live, Northern Indiana on Saturday, November 11th. That's this Saturday. Tickets are available at Ticketmaster.com or HRCNI.com. That's Jay Leno, Saturday, November 11th at Hard Rock Live. Courtney, anything our Bears fans need to know before the game on Thursday as we have one more day of prep and then the Bears will face off against the Panthers on Thursday night football? I think to keep an eye on, you know, when we were talking with Darnell Mooney yesterday, I just kind of gathered that, like, you know, we've heard a lot of the contract comments from Jalen Johnson after Montez Sweat, you know, before and after Montez Sweat got traded and the, you know, got traded and then signed his deal. And then Mooney yesterday gave like a very realistic uh, view into like, everything's kind of up in the air. And this doesn't necessarily pertain to this game specifically, but just like something here, the back half of the season where, you know, this is somebody who had a team high. um, It was like eight targets last week. And like, he had a really good game for himself. And like to see him, like none of the receivers we've seen have put like, back-to-back games like you know dj moore it's been he's had 55 yards like the most in a game since that 230 receiving yard day that he had against washington mooney has you know he had touchdown against green bay he's disappeared at moments this year like can we actually see these receivers in back-to-back weeks guys not named cole Komet because obviously he's been terrific and especially off play action it's a good safety net for your young quarterback if it is Tyson Bajan again, but can we see Mooney and more be more consistent with that? And I don't know if that's all on, I don't certainly think it's all on them. Um, I think that's got to come down to the game plan because like it just, I, I thought about this after the, the Josh Dobbs situation in, in, in uh, Atlanta this weekend, like this guy did not know the plays. He didn't know the cadences um, and he goes into the game and then they win on the road coaching matters like that's the part to me where i'm like this guy can get play they had no kj osborne in that game obviously justin jefferson's on injury reserve yet they still were able to get the ball to their playmaker so the whole excuse that we've heard and i have a story coming out just about dj's impact and you know the underutilization which is kind of crazy to think about a player of his caliber being as underutilized as he is like can we start to see those excuses dwindle or is it a direct reflection of the play calling? Or is it a reflection of the quarterbacks not being able to get their playmakers the ball? Like To me, the second half of the season is going to make that part more clear coming off of what was Mooney's best game and where DJ Moore wants to get back to. You're there every week, every day, and you're in like some weird closet room now <laughs> doing the, joining us for the podcast. It, as Regardless of who plays quarterback on Thursday, just from an organizational standpoint of where they are right now with this coaching staff and with a lot of these players that are going to be around that are under contract or want to be around for the foreseeable future with the bears. How much of a must win game is this to prove that you're better than even though you only have one more win than the worst team in the NFL? It's huge. I mean, the draft pick aside, like this is it's the second game this season that they've been favored in. Um, So, 
you're home on a short week. Like you've got, you can't be, I mean, two and eight becomes two and nine, two and 10. Like I don't see that many more wins on their, on their schedule. Um, And it's tough because you have Detroit coming up and back-to-back weeks. You got Minnesota sandwiched in there. They keep widening the gap from the other teams in their division and everybody else in the NFC. So for them to get a win over a team that, is is kind of in a rebuild on their own and looks like their thing's going in the wrong direction. It at least in the short term, it's it shows, hey, we won the trade because they got DJ Moore out of it. They got the draft capital. And it you know, if Bryce Young plays as poorly as he did um in week nine, then you show, okay, we made the right decision, at least for now, sticking with our quarterbacks that you know, our quarterback Justin Fields versus going to like use that pick on on Bryce Young. But you got to stop the bleeding at some point, like three and 14 last year was a really difficult thing, even though that these players and these coaches knew that's what they signed up for. And that was part of the plan. Two and seven was never part of the plan this year. So at some point, all the good things, all the goodwill, all the, we're in this together. We're still fighting through the season. Eventually, eventually you start turning the page to next year. And when that happens, that's when things can start to fray in the locker room. So from that aspect, it's important to be able to like keep this thing together and keep the wheels sort of on the tracks because you have two more months of the season to go from here. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you kind of point that out, Courtney, because the one thing Abdal and I have talked about on our show on ESPN 1000 is that we were all around the team in training camp and we were up at Hallis Hall every day. And I know you're there today and you're there every day. The one thing I saw when I was there is that they were not intending on losing this season. Mm-hmm. They, they may know that they're not a championship-quality team, but the impression I got was that this was a team that was going to take a step forward, and they wanted to win games. And that is just the vibe that I got. So, like, I think some fans see the record and say 2-7. and seven. Well, let's quit and let's hope for the draft and let's get ready for next year. This team sucks, but they got to find a way to salvage something here. Otherwise, yeah. like you said, there's two months left, and you can't, you can't go the next two months with this idea that we're only hoping to draft Caleb Williams number one overall. Because then you're basically you'd be picking up in April, even though there's all that work they have to do in the offseason. You'd be picking up where you left off, and right. you want to show signs of improvement, signs of progress. Of course, that that starts with figuring out is the quarterback for 2024 on this roster or is he not? Personally, I think they already know the decision. I, I think, like in my mind you've had what 30 something games of Justin Fields. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. by now, I think, you know, and I don't think that if you're a general manager, like Ryan Poles, that you can really, you get one crack at drafting a quarterback. You see how the the GM turnover works in this league. You get one shot at doing that. So you can't, you can't not do that if you're him. Um, But like, that's why it's so important. People are like, Oh, throw the season away. Just wait till, wait till February uh, or wait, wait till, um, you know, wait till the new league year starts. You're going to trade fields. You're not like, you have to figure it out now whether he can be part of this thing, whether you're going to have our quarterback competition that that Black and I think is going to happen here, like the, you know, in training camp. If you bring somebody <laughs> in, or if you don't, like that's so important for this second half of the season. And on top of that, you know, coaches will never publicly say, "Oh, we're you know, when the season's like all but gone, like we're playing this guy because we want to get a look at him or anything like that." 
Matt Eberflus came the closest he has to that last yesterday when I asked him about Jervon Dexter and Zach Pickens. Like, why is Justin Jones, who very likely is not on your roster next year because he's out of contract, you're probably going to try to upgrade the three-technique position unless you think that the two rookies that you spent a second and third round draft pick on, respectively, can play that. Like, they're they, those are the type of guys that you need to see the rest of the way play those snaps because you didn't use day two draft capital on two defensive tackles for them to like play a combined, you know, 20 something snaps. And then, you know, from a roster construction standpoint, it's other players who you anticipate not being part of the mix. Those guys not getting as much playing time the second half of the season. So like, keep your eye out on like who's in, who's out critical situations, got to have it situations. Like that's, that to me is the most interesting part of the second half for losing teams. Cause I've done this now for a couple of years covering teams that, um, you can tell like it's it's over. There's nothing left to play for, at least in that season. But they're playing to figure out who's on the team next year. Yeah, I would say uh, Justin Jones, Eddie Jackson's probably another one mm-hmm. to keep your eyes on. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Cody, White, Cody Whitehair. Whitehair, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Courtney, thank you so much. We'll continue reading, listening, following all your great work on ESPN.com and also for ESPN 1000. Thank you for all the followers, viewers, and listeners to the Chicago Bear podcast. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Yay. Okay.